Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And welcome to Go, Go Astros. First of all, this is going to be the episode that our friend Don Gillingham, who's not necessarily a listener of this show, but will definitely be fired up about. We're back. We've got Andy. We've got Brian. Gentlemen, we had a little break. Brian went to Disney World. How's everybody doing? I am tan, relaxed, and ready. I mean, I don't know that I can top that. I'm not <laughs> I don't Brian, know. Brian, Brian with the tan. So yeah. Uh, was Disney, was this your first Disney World experience? Because I've never been. I still don't know how that's possible, by the way. I've been to Disneyland once, never Disney World. Brian, was this your first time? Um, so I'd gone when I was like six, but my wife and now my kid is a big fan. So we went a couple years ago. This was actually the third attempt on this trip. I uh, got canceled twice due to the pandemic. So okay. thanks, Kylie. Got it in. We're very happy. Yeah, thanks, COVID. At least we can't blame COVID on why we're having another Astros Italian meal conversation. But before we do that, uh, I don't think there's any reason to touch on the lockout right now. Not enough progress, I think, has been made. But we do have a couple of interesting Astros notes. Um, and I think, first of all, Sarah Goodrum has been named the director of player development, I believe, for the Houston Astros. Um I don't know. I, I just think it's really cool that we're starting to see. We had the Rachel Balkovic news managing a New York Yankee farm club not long ago. It's kind of cool to see women kind of moving forward in the game. Yeah, and Rachel was former um, Astro staff, also minor league staff. So, you know, this isn't our first foray into uh, DEI initiatives when it comes to uh, management and coaching. Um, I, it's interesting. She's a softball player, played D1, I think, at Oregon. Um, and has worked um, University of Utah, a couple college stops, and then most recently has been with the Brewers uh, as a roving hitting instructor and then in um, scouting and development. So uh, it's going to be, uh, I think, an interesting and welcome addition, um, especially when you consider what the front office and what the development staff look like when Jeff Lunau was in charge of it and the makeup of that staff. Uh, this is somebody who probably would not get that opportunity um the way it had been constructed prior to 2019 brian thoughts yeah two thoughts here one is i'm pretty sure half the talent at evaluating baseball in the world is on the y chromosome at birth and you know so teams that figure out how to you know, you know some of that doesn't get developed because they're from you know not parts of the world that play baseball and some because they get interested in other stuff, but teams that, you know, franchises that take advantage of that fact and are able to bring in, you know, to basically fish from a bigger pool to get uh, people into front office jobs and player development jobs and jobs that uh, can help players seem to have an advantage. Obviously that's, you know, a 30,000 foot perspective on that. And obviously there are lots of specifics and details to sort of, work through to get that, including potential barriers players might have on being told what to do by someone from the other gender. And, you know, that's something that has to be sort of worked through. But I think something that is, is less of a deal today than it was, you know, for our contemporaries and certainly for, you know, our parents or grandparents' contemporaries. And the second point sort of worth making here, and this is something broader, the Astros also hired 
in addition to Sarah Goodrum, they also hired two other uh, assistant general managers. We've talked about this a little bit more, but we're starting to get something of a James Click stamp on this team. It is, you know, something that is, um, he's, he's, this is the first time in a while the Astros have brought in people from outside the organization. And a lot of their, uh, a lot of the front office people they've had, particularly through the Luna years of people who have been developed inside the organization have got to promote it through in the or, inside the organization. They're still doing that. I think there were six other promotions in that same press release yeah. that announced the hirings of uh, Goodrum and Andrew Ball. Um, but it also sort of speaks to it's going to be a little bit different uh, what a James Click franchise is than what a Jeff Luna franchise was. And I think it makes sense. I think it's time. Sometimes you need to kind of replant a different crop. You know, you don't want the uh, the, the ground to get fu- look at that. Me making an A&M style reference. Andy, you like that? This is like two today. Counting your yeah. Twitter post. It That must be painful for you. no. You think it is, but it isn't. Um, the other the other kind of thing that got dropped on Twitter, and you know, I don't know if this is desperation. I don't know if this is they don't have a place for him. I don't know if this is they're they're counting on Corey Lee's promotion later on, but uh baby baby Correa cross-training at catcher, uh Andy. Random. I, I don't know that it's random. Um and I'm parsing this on the fact that I read the uh, Astros original scouting report on Jeff Bagwell last night uh, before he was part of the franchise, which is just, I don't know how that guy had a job. Um, if you read it, doesn't know how to run bases, um, didn't <laughs> demonstrate any leadership, had some power potential, but wasn't going to be an average hitter. I mean, just that scouts and scouts. Um, and I know we talk about uh, Moneyball a little bit too much, but there's, the analytics side is certainly welcome in today's baseball game. Yeah. Anyway, um, with JC, uh, I, I, you know, I think that a minor leaguer with flexibility only gives them more opportunities to do things where there's holes in the franchise or other franchises. Uh, Major League Baseball is always going to have a shortage of quality catchers uh, and a shortage of quality backup catchers. So putting another tool in, in his tool belt, so to speak, I don't think it's a bad thing for either him or the franchise. Uh, if it enables him to move up a level, um, it, it, and what is he by trade? A second baseman? Is that accurate? He, could, he, he couldn't even crack shortstop in his own family, huh? Well, but so maybe he's blocked at second base for the foreseeable future by a future Hall of Famer in the, in the organization. He's likely not blocked from moving up levels as a catcher. And it also gives you roster flexibility. Back when we had Good Marwin, not that version that we got this year, but Good Marwin, who was cheating, um, he was a guy that played seven, with us seven of the nine on-field positions at some point. I don't think he ever caught for us, and he never pitched for us. He checked the pitching box at some point. But that's how you can build a 26-man roster uh, that's active and have a lot of flexibility and be able to carry more pitchers or more outfielders or whatever, because you've got a guy that can fill in a lot of different slots. Um, so I, I think it's only a positive. Uh, is he a marginal major league candidate overall? Probably. Um, was he signed because we had his brother in the roster and we're trying to keep him happy? Probably. But I, I don't think anything like that, anything that you put another tool for a minor leaguer to develop their career um, and give them the opportunity is always a positive thing in my mind. Brian, is it an indicator, though, that he isn't 
necessarily major league uh, quality. I, I just think about when they moved Biggio out of catch. I know that's a completely apples and oranges situation, but it seems like if he's a great athlete, you don't put him in a place where he's going to degrade physically quicker. Yeah, but again, he's never been a top prospect or a top draft pick. So he's someone that they're trying to figure, is there anything we can do to just, if we just get him to the majors and get him Garrett Stubbs' career, that's a success for us. Okay. Um, you know, he's drafted below Garrett Stubbs. And I guess the parallel, the other guy I was thinking of uh, more recently is uh, Padres catcher Austin Nola, who was um, was at, uh, was a was a shortstop on a great defensive shortstop in college at LSU. He actually forced DJ LeMayu off, uh, off second base. That LSU team was pretty good. They won the national championship. Um, but he's now converted to a catcher uh, sometime in his mid to late 20s, and has been a mm. very effective catcher. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, that's the ridiculous upside path uh, for J.C. Correa here. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Andy here. It can't hurt. It's worth sort of noting, though, that the Astros have done, have really improved their catching depth in the minors over the last couple of years. Um, they got uh, Corey Lee was their first round draft pick. And you know, the analysis at that time, he's a reach. He shouldn't be drafted so high. And he's on top 100 list. He's justified that pick. He's the last first round pick of, uh, of Jeff raked, Luna. raked in the fall league. I mean, he, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. And there there's, you know, every expectation he'll be the, he'll replace Martin Maldonado as a starting catcher over the next year or two. Um, secondly, we have uh, Yanier Diaz, who was the another part of the uh, Miles Straw for Phil Maton trade. Um, and he's someone who had a really good year, both in the Guardian system and in the Astro system after he came over to the trade deadline. And is a God, that sounded weird, prospect. right, Andy? The Guardian system? I don't know. It, it wasn't that one of the gangs from the Warriors. I think, sorry, Brian. It just. I was like, what's he, is Brian having a stroke? Who are the guardians? Oh, right. Okay. Sorry, Brian, I cut you off. I had to mentally work really hard to say it, uh, say it. That <laughs> I way. Bet, so, I um, so, you know, um, we're all getting used to this here. Uh, you know, they've only been the Indians for over, you know, for 120 years. So, you know, it, it does take a little while to get used to the new one. <laughs> it's yeah. better than Washington football team by any stretch. By any stretch. You're true. Good Lord. Right. Yes. And they're apparently going to be the commanders because apparently which is just as bad <laughs> i mean they had plenty of names that seemed to be i love red hogs because well i'm a former offensive lineman of the 80s and you know oh red anyway. hogs would have been genius like i don't understand how they whiffed on that i don't you know they also had red tails which were the uh the uh, tuskegee airmen's uh, nickname. I would like to, yeah. yeah either one of those are really cool and they go with the most boring one because well when you put dan snyder in charge of things <laughs> Well, anyway, you, maybe you should have Cal McNair in charge instead, which is yeah. really uh, neither neither of interest. I We've got got so many things on this show. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. Well, and that gets me to point three here. The reason we're talking about a position conversion for minor leaguers is we have no major league baseball to talk about right now. Um, hopefully, again, um, you know, they've actually started talking to each other. And uh, yesterday they were yelling at each other a lot. So. Um, that's actually a positive sign, as weird as that is to say. So I think it talk, is, but they're going to talk again today, the day we're recording this. Though so it literally is two days in a row, they're going to talk. Yeah, and I, I, I'm looking forward to the leaks of the uh, you know false and ridiculous statements that the Rockies owner makes again. So this is uh, how did he get in charge? Anyway, that's a conversation for a whole other day. Andy, uh, you have prepared uh, something fun for us. A little bit of background um, when we were trying to figure out ways to keep. 
uh, when, when this was a segment on Let's Get To, you came up with the idea of we do a Italian food menu based on Astros players, and it ended up being one of our most popular segments. Now, Go Go Astros is <laughs> its own. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it was popular. So now we've got uh, now Go Go Astros is its own show, and I thought, here we are again. This might be the last time we have to do this in the life of the show, hopefully. Sure hope so. Um, so, Andy. What are we doing? I mean, this, is, this is really difficult too because this is almost now a hey, be funny. And it's really difficult to be funny when people tell you to be funny. So I just got go you. ahead and assume that it's not going to be. And if you're pleasantly surprised, congrats. Um, so in the winter of 2020, uh, when, or I guess spring, when COVID became a real thing, we realized we were going to lose games. We decided to create a menu of uh, dishes, Italian dishes that were named after Astros Italian, uh, Astros players of Italian heritage. And by Italian heritage, I really just mean names that sounded vaguely Italian to me at the time <laughs> I was writing it. And so this stretched a lot of different players, uh, really popular players like Craig Biggio, which was a medley of sunflower seeds, cheese and pine tar. It was a heavy appetizer. Um, it, Biggio contained a larger amount of cheese than you'd expect. And a surprise, it was surprisingly long-lasting for an appetizer. It's served with a delicious focaccia, as well as a book of baseball quotes for clubhouse lawyers. So there's a lot in there. There's a lot to digest. It could yeah. be as simple as a Casey Candel, which was just your aperitivo, which was a small bag of salty nuts, and you'll wonder why it wasn't around longer once you're done. Um, we covered the obscure, the Mike McNante, which yeah. is a weak noodle dish served with a bland marinara. Uh, it was a favorite with base runners everywhere. Uh, the dish did not come out fast, but it was served from the left-hand side, which kept it on the menu for a really, really long time. Um, so there's a few of those. Um, I know one that Brian had expressed interest in was the Dale Barra. Uh, Dale Barra's dish is a thin serving of fresh vegetables dressed in a red wine vinaigrette. Uh, it was served as an ensalada, of course. Despite the fact that the vegetables come from one of the best farms in the history of the country, ultimately there just wasn't a lot to it. <laughs> And very likely you'll forget you ever even ate it. Which is but rare for Italian top food. Top seller on the menu. Um, so in this time, we've added a few more. Um, and there are some other things we didn't mention, but we've added a few more uh, to, the, to the menu because you can't just have seven dishes or eight dishes on a menu. You've got to have variety for people. Absolutely. And tastes change over time. Uh, we introduced uh, since two, two, 2020, the Mark Loretta which is a delicious clam toast with pancetta. Uh, it's a shellfish and pork duo, which is a power duo, but that salty sweet pancetta soffretto uh, is the backbone of the dish. Our executive chef actually, has this funny story, our executive chef actually found the dish traveling in the wilderness of urban Wisconsin. And it was a huge, huge success as soon as we put it on the menu. And it was so successful, we couldn't afford to keep it on the menu. Um, but then we brought it back like five years later and it was you know, kind of meh. By then it had, uh, it was like the avocado toast of. Absolutely. It was yeah. well overplayed. I just want to say this, that uh, putting together pork and shellfish, um, I believe uh, Alex Bregman, the greatest Jewish player in Astros history, would describe that as sacrilegious. <laughs> I think he would say it was sacrilegious. <laughs> he might. That's what we need. We need just for our all, all Astros Jewish Hanukkah menu. We'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> Um, we also this year uh, at the in, at beginning of last year introduced the Jayco de Rizzi. It sounds better than it is. It's just a chicken breast. You can get it anywhere. Um, nothing really different that you'd find in any other restaurant. It fills you up, but 
it's just kind of a chicken breast. Uh, and it was really, we introduced it because of a supply chain issue we thought we were going to have, and we felt compelled that we needed to add this dish to the menu. And it turns out we rushed it. It was really undercooked and it took a really long time to get it right. And once we got it right, it was so spicy that nobody wanted to listen to it anymore. Um, the supply chain issues never materialized either. So we're all kind of just stuck with this chicken for another this year. Chicken thing. And it was sometimes it was really good. And sometimes you're like, oh, my God, that's a savory piece of chicken. And then sometimes you were like, oh, I feel like I'm going to have food poisoning. But ultimately, a chicken breast is just a chicken breast. I mean, the thing about the Jayco de Rizzi, I've tried it. And uh, the first time you, ha- uh, you know, the first bite is really good. The second bite is really good. Third time through the chicken, avoid that. <laughs> it's- yeah, it's um, it's a challenge. I like how my reaction is going to be me falling out of my chair. Brian, that was good. That was quick too. I, I, yeah, that was, you've got to rape your wit, my friend. I love it. Thank you. We have another permanent addition, um, the Jeff Bagwell. And you might question the heritage on that, but the dish hails from Boston, was refined in Connecticut. So we can pretty much guarantee there was some Dago family influence somewhere in the lineage there. Uh, it's a squab roasted over high heat, served vertically with its little legs spread wide um, with a side of gnocchi. Whole thing's covered in a delicious basil pesto for texture, though, um, because of the mouthfeel, you serve it with large pistachios, like really large pistachios, like the biggest nuts you've ever seen. Our signature twist, though, uh, to make it our own dish is we remove yeah. one of the wings at the shoulder, but serve it like it's still a full, full bird and never talk about it. People love it. All right. Oh, he lost his arm. He really couldn't play in the World Series. That was sad. Let's make fun of him. <laughs> I think he'd tr- appreciate it. Having trouble staying yes, awake? Maybe you want to try a Jeff Fulcino? Okay. It's delicious. Pull milk. There's not a lot to it. Just, you know. Um, and we did have one special right now that I needed to talk about. It's probably the last part of this bit, thankfully, for all of us. Uh, it's the Rob Manfred. <laughs> it's the uh, take on our, it's a, it's our take on a pasta chisardi. Um, it's a pasta dish with fennel, a hint of saffron, raisins, and sardines. The pasta chisardi is known as the least appetizing Italian dish ever made. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't pair with like 27 of the 30 different wines we offer. Uh, and frankly, it's really difficult to stomach. The weird thing is, is that when you order it, people are going to tell you how great it is and how smart it is. But while you're trying to get it down your mouth and down your stomach, it's, um, you're going to be pretty sure you're, it's ruining your childhood. And it's probably putting a boot of your car out in the parking lot. So that most sums up Rob Manfred. He's ruining your childhood by putting a boot on your car in the park. I don't even know how to wrap that up. Andy, that was well done. Not just well done but well done. Yeah. See, I got, I got jokes, jokes, jokes like that. Some say they're medium. Some say they're rare. I say they're both. (laughs) Very good. Andy, that was awesome. Uh, All right, guys, let's going to wrap us up for this episode. Um, That was a lot of fun. We're going to keep trying to keep it fun and light. Um, Obviously we're going to stay as on top of Astros news. And we'll of course talk about the sugar land rebrand next episode but guys thanks for jumping on we'll see y'all next week go strows go strows go strows